0: This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. You've heard the saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. I want to tell you that can be truly the motto of my life. This is not preaching, speaking. This is not just a nice thing to say. That is truly the absolute truth about my life. And that is why you always find me overwhelmed when I preach on the grace of God. Because I am deeply thankful for the grace of God. I am deeply grateful for the abundance of His grace that is poured upon me, the abundance of grace that He has poured upon me in times when I feel least deserving of it. And that is why I guess it's called grace. But the closer I walk with the Lord, the more conscious I am of my weaknesses, the more conscious I am of my shortcomings, the more conscious I am of my failings. And I had to reflect particularly this week as I prepared this message, the first in the series of messages on portrait of grace, I had to reflect upon the grace of God that overwhelmed even what I consider to be my failure in the area of parenting, in the area of being a father. The more I'm aware of His grace the more grateful I am to the Lord for overruling my failings, particularly in that area. You see, like most parents, I've made a bunch of mistakes. I learned, for example, that shouting in order to make your kids obey is like using your horn to steer the car. And you get about the same results. (laughs) Now, it took me a long while to learn that. But God's grace overruled. (laughs) The truth is, before I had children, I'm glad you did not know me back then, because I was an expert on bringing up children. (laughs) I was the world's foremost knowledgeable person about how to bring up children and i told people exactly how to go about it i gave them advice i and then i had children <laughs> and all of a sudden i lost my expertise <laughs> i have discovered that parenting is like twirling a baton or like eating with chopsticks oh it looks easy until you do it <laughs> until you try it i'm sure some of you probably know our four wonderful children and would say, Michael, surely you're kidding about these mistakes. No, I'm not. Our four wonderful children are a testimony to the grace of God and their very wise mother. So I want to speak to all the panicking moms and dads. I want to speak to regretful adults who have hurtful experiences growing up in their relationship with their parents. I want to speak to the hurting children of all ages. Because today, and in this series of messages, you will come to understand the overwhelming grace of God, the overwhelming power of the grace of God, and will tremendously encourage you, no matter where you are today. In this first message, we're going to look and see how God's grace can overrule even in the midst of blatant parental failure and sin, regardless of the pain that you have experienced growing up in your relationship with your parents, regardless of the regret that you may be nursing, regardless of hurt that you may be feeling, when you open your heart to the grace of God today, He will bless you abundantly you will learn how to revel in the grace of God instead of wallowing in your past pain. So listen carefully. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they will have a child. Abraham tried to run ahead of the Lord, tried to improve on God's plan, and he realized that it's not going to work. He's getting old, she's getting old. And then they married Hagar, his concubine, and brought Ishmael. And even God asked Abraham asked God, he said, let Ishmael live before you. And God said, you don't understand, Abraham. When I make your promise, I keep it in its minutest details. That's how God works, folks. And so, Isaac is born to Sarah at 90 and Abraham 100. So Isaac was known to Abraham and to Sarah and to him that he is a miracle baby, that he is the son of promise. And then Around the age of 40, through God's supernatural intervention, Abraham's servant goes back to where Abraham and Sarah came from, and he brings a wonderful woman to Isaac by the name of Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah get married. But Rebekah, like Sarah, her mother-in-law was barren. She could not conceive. So her husband, Isaac, cries to the Lord on her behalf. He intercedes to the Lord on her behalf, and the Lord hears his cry. The Lord hears his prayer, and the Lord abundantly answers his prayer, and they give them a twin boys. These two boys began their war and fighting among themselves right in Rebekah's womb. Jacob and Esau were born fighting with each other. As you're going to see throughout the series of messages, that the whole life was categorized by tension and argument and war and fighting. But I'm here to tell you, listen to me, I'm here to tell you and show you how the grace of God triumphed over all obstacles, how the grace of God overruled many failures, utter failures. How the grace of God brought good out of bad. And so, when Rebecca experienced this turmoil inside of her, God graciously revealed to her what no sonogram in the world would have been able to do. This is the maker of the sonograms of all the sonograms. Here's what he said God revealed to Rebecca what is happening inside her womb. It's in verse 23, if you haven't turned already, Genesis 25, 23. The Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples are within you, and they will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, I want you to underline that because it's really, that is the key sentence here. And the older shall serve the younger. Very significant, we'll come back to it in a minute. The older will serve the younger. But why? Because this revelation makes it very clear that the fighting that was going on between Jacob and his brother Esau, I'm going to get it, is of significance for all of history. God is telling Rebecca that this is more than just family squabbles that happens between brothers in the best of families, (laughs) that this is more than just sibling rivalries that happens in all families, that this is going to be two future nations, and God in His sovereignty had reversed the cultural norm. While in the cultural norm of that day, the older rules the younger. The younger must obey the older. God, in His sovereign plan, reversed that order. But listen, (laughs) sibling rivalry is as old as creation. We see it between Cain and Abel. We see it among the children, the sons of Noah, and we see it between Isaac and Ishmael, and we see it between Joseph and his brothers. It's all over the place. You know, there's one thing about the Bible, and I love the word of God, because it holds people up to us, not just we see how perfect they are and how impossible we can keep up with them, but to show us their failures and their mistakes so we can learn from them. When sin entered the world, brothers and sisters start fighting. <laughs> When sin into the world, brothers and sisters start saying, not me. I didn't do it. I didn't know he did it. She did it. No, they did it. no I didn't do it. You know, that, that's where it started. And that is why when the grace of God is ruling supreme in a family and in a home, even in the midst of sibling rivalries, even in the midst of squabble, even in the midst of tension, it is often followed by confession and forgiveness, and restoration, because that's what the grace of God does. And so, when the time came for Rebekah to deliver those two boys, sure enough, <laughs> not only that they were not identical twins, they looked nothing like each other. Not only that, but they came out fighting, literally fighting. Esau was born first, and then a few minutes later, Jacob comes out, Grabbing on his heel as if to say, Hold it, buddy, I should have come for it first. And this was symbolic of that tension that characterized their relationship for the rest of their lives. Let me ask you a question. If you listen to that message, some of you have read it, you're familiar with the passage. Where do you think Isaac and Rebecca have failed in their parenting responsibility? Now, as you're thinking about the answer, I'm going to give you my personal opinion. My personal opinion is that it was Isaac and Rebecca's lack of unity as husband and wife that exasperated the tension between those two boys. And so, back to the question where did Isaac and Rebecca fail as parents? Where did they fail in their parental responsibility? It was in the fact that they did not train their children in the Word of God and according to the promises of God. Verse 23 of chapter 25, book of Genesis. I want you to look at it. What does it say there? The older shall serve the younger. So what is God saying to them? What is the promise of God? They were still in the womb, and God gave them a word of utterance of, prophetic word here. It means that Isaac and Rebekah, who are already aware of how miraculous the birth of Isaac is, that Isaac and Rebekah, who understood that Isaac is the son of promise, that Isaac and Rebekah, who already know that through Isaac, the Messiah is going to be (laughs) born… And therefore, when God said, it is Jacob through whom the Messiah will come, it is Jacob who's going to rule and his brother will serve him, that was a clear word from God. There is no but or if. That was God's command. That was God's instruction. That was God's promise. That is God's way of saying that the promise that I gave to Abraham, and later on the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. That Abraham anticipated the coming of the Messiah through Isaac, through Jacob, and not through Esau. That should have been their food. This should be their drink. This should have been their instruction day and night. Therefore, Isaac... And Rebekah should have trained Esau to expect his blessings to come through his brother Jacob. They should have instructed Esau that the promised Messiah is going to come through his brother Jacob. That they should have been diligent in training the boys to understand the promises of God in the Word of God. Jacob on the other hand on the other hand he should have been trained should have been instructed to be prepared for his role he should have been instructed in fact he should have been trained to understand that he is going to be the ancestor of the Messiah of God Jacob should have been trained to know that God has a plan for his life Jacob should have been trained that in humility he should accept this high calling. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is a special promise to this family, not to your family or my family. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, you know, did I miss something? No, no, no. You've got to understand there are certain things in the Scripture for the people to whom the Scripture is written. And this is a special promise to that family. It doesn't apply to yours or mine. But here's what I can learn from it. Here's what you and I can learn from it. Listen to me very carefully. Whenever you find turmoil in families, whenever you find disarray in families, whenever you find wars dominating family life, whenever you find tension and strife in a home continuously, you can be absolutely sure somehow the Word of God is not dominating the family, that the Word of God is not being followed, that the Word of God is not being obeyed, that the Word of God is not being taught in the family. Listen to me. The reason we have all these statistics about how Christian kids in Christian homes and Christian churches forget about their faith when they leave home is because they were not taught and instructed in the Word of God. Please hear me right. This is important. This does not mean that believing families don't have tension. (laughs) i got news for you. Then I will be disqualified from speaking. We always had discussions, very vigorous discussions in our home. I trained all my kids to debate and discuss and, and vigorously defend their point of view. But always under the authority of the Word of God. I'm saying that strife... Tension will happen to the best of us. But when Jesus, when His Word is reigning supreme, the tension and the strife will not last forever. It's only temporary. So instead of Isaac and Rebecca trying to train the two boys in the Word of God, in the promises of God, they allowed them to go their own way, their own way. Now Esau was a rugged individualist. I mean he was the outdoorsman the hunter esau was the original redneck <laughs> actually that's where it comes from <laughs> that's how the term redneck came because esau was red <laughs> he was ruddy complexion and hairy the bible said esau was the guy who drove a pickup truck had a ponytail and he's got tattoos all over his body. <laughs> he's the guy who had not just one gun in the rack of his back pickup truck. He had several guns. Jacob, on the other hand, was mama's boy. <laughs> he always hung around mama's kitchen. He was the thinker and the planner, the strategist and the schemer. He was the cook who learned how to cook from his mother. Jacob was always close to home. <laughs> And that's why you find him that he's always was in the right place at the right time. You'll see that later on. These differences in these two boys unfortunately led to the sin of blatant favoritism by their parents. Look at verse 28, Genesis 25 28. This verse should be a warning to all young moms and dads and expectant moms and dads. It says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Beloved, listen to me. Blatant favoritism on the part of parents is a sin. It really is. But let me level with you. I've studied this thing. I understand it And I want to be sure that you would not walk out of here with false guilt, because given the human nature that we have, often a parent will find himself or herself relating to one or two of their children better than others. Now, that is not favoritism. That is not what I'm talking about. That is very different from favoritism, so I hope you really got this one. So I don't want you to walk out on the false guilt. But that fact should be more of a reason to double your effort and your energy and your affection and your time with the child that you might not relate to on the same level as you relate to other children. But blatant favoritism is a terrible sin, and it causes terrible disasters in homes. The fact that the grace of God overruled in Isaac and Rebecca's family should not tempt us to do this and say the grace of God will overrule. That's tempting God. Some of you adults whom I feel deep hurt and anger and disappointment Because you were not the favorite child and felt that you're not the favorite child. Let me relate to you. I understand where you are. (laughs) Because as number seven in a family of eight, I was at the bottom of the barrel. There was not enough left for me. (laughs) But what God taught me, number one, that my parents loved me. But what God taught me is that all His children are favorites to Him blatant favoritism in the case of Rebecca and Isaac, exasperated the relationship between the boys. It really did. I want you to hear me right. When parenting is exercised under the authority of the Word of God, even when we make mistakes, and I already told you I made my fair share of them, Even when we make mistakes, but when we are under the authority of the Word of God, God's grace will overrule our failures, will overrule our mistakes, and will overrule our shortcomings. Well, but to make things worse, Esau was impetuous. I mean, he devalued the importance of his birthright, he devalued the importance of his coming first and he would sell it for a ten cents cup of soup. He did not value it at all. Let me ask you this. How many people do you know, like Esau, who have created shipwrecks of their lives, of their reputations, for the sake of instant gratification? For the sake of momentary satisfaction, they destroyed their lives and the lives of others. Jacob, on the other hand, was not blameless. Listen carefully. I think most of us will identify with what I'm going to tell you about Jacob more than Esau. Had Jacob trusted in the promises of God, had Jacob trusted in the word of God that was given to his parents, Had Jacob trusted in the Word of God, he would not have had to scheme and try to buy his brother's birthright. Why? Because it was his. God gave it to him. God promised it to him. God said, it's yours. Had Jacob trusted in God's promise... He would not have had to scheme and deceive his father, and then later on scheme and deceive, try to deceive his uncle Laban, as we will see as we go on in this series of missions. But I want you to hear me right. This is very important. I have seen it with those two eyes, and I've attempted it once or twice myself. It never fails. You know what it is? When we get impatient with God, when we try to get ahead of the Lord, when we try to improve on God's plan, when we try to answer our own prayers, when we panic at the Lord's delay and take matters into our own hands, when our plans begin to conflict with God's plan so we force ours through, the results are not very pretty, are not very pretty. Have you been there? I have. The problem with all of us is this, is that we don't look at the long view of things. We really don't. The best of us, the greatest of visionaries, we don't look at the big picture and the long view. We make instant decisions based on current conditions. We make Erroneous conclusions based on prevailing circumstances. But God sees the whole picture. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. He sees the middle. He sees it all. He sees the seen. He sees the unseen. And that is why it is ultimately far better to trust Him to fulfill His promises instead of us trying to fulfill His promises for Him. It bombed out when Abraham tried it with Ishmael. It bombs out every time. Like Jacob, he got impatient with God. And Rebekah, who did not encourage him to trust in the promises of God, and Isaac, his father, we too tend to run and take things into our own hands. Taking things into our hands may give us a sense of accomplishment. It may give us a sense of achievement. It gives us a sense that we've done something, we're doing something, but it also could cause a whole lot of pain in the process. It could cause a train wreck. You know, every test that I have taken ever since, I guess, in the last thirty years, every test that I took tells me that I am a type A personality. (laughs) Okay, some of you are surprised. I think that's why I understand type A's. Some of you are saying, what is type A personality? Well, ask your husband, ladies. (laughs) Type A personality are those who want to make things happen. Type A personality are those who are not blessed with a great deal of patience, (laughs) to put it mildly, But I want to testify to you and to the glory of God. As I grow in the grace of God, I am finding that I am learning what it is to relinquish to His control, to seek His plan, to serve His purpose, to accomplish His goals, to desire Him more than desiring what He can do for me. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Hey, I'll be lying to you. It's not easy, but it's better. That's my testimony, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) But the problem with many of us is that when we take things into our own hands like Jacob did, and then God doesn't immediately react, or God doesn't immediately chastise us, or God doesn't immediately interfere and intervene and stops us. <laughs> we have the tendency of thinking, oh, I must be right. Oh, this must be... I must understand, this must be the plan of God. This must, must be what God wants me to do. <laughs> Here's what we don't realize. And it's a lesson that I am trying to learn every single day of my life. Is that the rope... Of God's grace is very long. (laughs) But it will come to an end. And eventually it will reach that end. And in Jacob's case, we'll see, you'll see, all of the scheming, all of the plotting, all of the maneuvering, all of the manipulating, they all come back to haunt him. Don't forget, Thank God every day for His grace, but don't test His patience. Thank Him for His grace, don't tempt His patience. And so what I believe the Lord is saying to every one of us, if you're a hurting child, whether you're 8 or 80, whether you're a person who's nursing bitterness, whether you're a person who can't let go of something that happened years ago on the part of your parents pathetic relationship, even abusive relationship, the grace of God can not only help you let go, but restore to you all the years that are eaten by the locusts. A word to the parents. Remember that as long as you bring your children in the fear and nurture of the Lord, as long as you instruct them in the Word of God, don't worry about mistakes because God's grace will overrule. Father, it is impossible to even comprehend your grace. Lord, I would have given up on me a long time ago, but you didn't. I thank you for that. I bless you today. I glory in you today. I rejoice in your grace today. And Father, I pray in the name and in the power of Jesus and all the power that is in that name that Your Holy Spirit will come and visit every heart. Father God, those who seek forgiveness, pour it into their hearts as they ask You for it. Those who desire that You will renew them, do it for them. Father, those who are feeling a mountain of guilt, take it, replace it, with the joy of the Lord. Father, I pray that as the heavenly ushers come after we all leave, they'll pick up all the false guilt, all the past hurt, all the past pain, as your Holy Spirit replace in our hearts with the joy unspeakable. In Jesus' name, amen.